0: We interrupt your broadcast to bring you an episode from the Stephen or Else Network of Truly Epic Podcasts. Find more shows at StephenOrElse.com. It's minuscule. It's mired in minutiae. It's a microcosm of madcap malignity. Madman's snappy world suddenly becomes big when the bodacious hero is shrunk by a bizarre blend of unknown chemicals. On his journey back to Buzztown, desperate for aid from Dr. Flem, the shrinky-dink madman encounters the creep and the mysterious yellow-eyed creature from beneath the stairs. That's today on Just Another Fanboy. Hello and welcome to Just Another Fanboy, the podcast that says stuff like this I'm your host, my name is Steven, and I warned you folks, I said it back in episode 304 that I was going to start giving you a great big bunch of Madman episodes right in a row, and here we are with another Madman episode. Granted, it's only the second one in a row at this point, but yeah, I warned you. So today we're going to look at Madman Comics number nine. This issue was published by Dark Horse on October 19th, 1995. It had a cover price of $2.95 and it is titled Little Lexicon of Life or The Tale of the Mini Madman. It was written by Mike Allred with art by Mike Allred, letters by Sean Connaught, and the colorist was Laura Allred. Now, Normally, what I've been doing at this point is I would read you the issues blurb from over there on darkhorse.com. But I already did that. That was what you heard there in the cold opening of the show. So let's just get into the book. Are you ready? Let's begin. I'm going to start with the cover. The cover features what appears to be a giant zombie-looking guy with a T-shirt on that says Creep and he is about to step on our hero Frank Einstein the madman of Snap City of course this zombie looking dude is not a giant because Mr. Allred has made sure to show us a men's room door that the the creep as we're going to call him that the, the the creep is walking through there's also a toothbrush there next to Frank and Frank's about the size of the toothbrush. There's also a little robot there with him. And it looks like one of those toy robots from the 70s. Matter of fact, I looked it up and I don't know if there is a particular name for this particular type of robot. But the the, the image I found of toy robots that comes the closest to this particular one, I got this off of the, uh, well, it's collection dot science museum group dot org dot uk and apparently they've got a collection of toy robots here and so the one i found is called a super robot it's from 1977 and it was made in japan and it it most closely resembles the little robot that we're seeing on the cover so as the story opens if you remember from last week in the previous issue after frank had fought The puke monster. He had been running down into the basement, into the bowels of the hospital, and the puke monster was chasing him. And he was he was tossing all kinds of stuff at it. He had originally been shooting at it with uh, Alka-Seltzer tablets. He doused it with some borax. He threw packing peanuts on it, and then he found uh, like a tank hanging on a wall that had some experimental chemical in it. And he doused both himself and the puke monster with that chemical. And so the puke monster shrunk down to about the size of something that would fit in maybe a gallon or two-gallon jug of milk. And uh, do they make two-gallon jugs of milk? I don't think so. But Frank had a, a big glass bottle there, and he managed to get... The tiny puke monster into the bottle, and the reason he was running for the basement was because there is a, a moto moto router car system that he and Doctor Flem had built. Various tunnels and these these moto router cars that connected or that sped through these tunnels, so that Doctor Flem's home in Buzztown was connected to Doctor Boyford or Professor Boyford's home in Snap City. And it op- they opened up in various places so that ultimately Dr. Flem could go back and forth between Buzztown and Snap City very, very quickly. And Frank had to get back to Dr. Flem, and more importantly to Joe, uh, the, the love of his life and his buddy Mott from the planet Hoople. And so he gathered up the tiny puke monster, put it in a bottle, corked the bottle, jumped in one of these moto-rooter cars, and they rocketed away. And that's where we kind of open up. Oh, I should also mention that when Frank and the puke monster were doused with this experimental chemical, he wasn't wearing his normal costume at the time. He was wearing like a scuba suit, but his costume was there in the basement, and it got soaked by the chemicals as well. And he he tried to wring it out as well as he could but he went went ahead and and put that wet costume on and again they rocket it off. So as we open up this issue they're zooming along this moto router track when suddenly Frank starts to shrink and he gets small enough that he's almost he's 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 almost smaller than the puke monster and he gets down he, you know he immediately just shrinks down to this to this tiny size and he realizes that the Moto ruder car is heading for a dead end. And there is a point as they're zooming along that he is supposed to hit this button to switch the track to, to move the car from the track that's heading for the dead end and move it to the main track that will take them into Buzztown. Now, God forbid that I say anything negative about Mike Allred in his writing, but I did find that I, I, this is probably the first time in what? We're up to uh, 15. This is the 15th issue of Madman of some sort that we have looked at. And this is the first time I've ever went, eh, I don't know about that, Mike. And really what I'm trying to point out here is that why would this Moto router car that's heading from Snap City to Buzztown, why would it default to run along a track that goes to a dead end? Why would he need to manually switch the track to the Buzztown track? That just, that didn't make any sense to me, but it needed to happen so that the Moto router car could crash because he's not able to press the button. He's too small. He, he he can't get the button pressed in his, the size that he's at. And so the car crashes into the dead end and causes a, a cave in. And Frank is knocked unconscious and he has this dream That he's standing on a mountaintop, and above him, he meets a well, he looks like a young Clint Eastwood. And the young Clint Eastwood tells Frank that I am Nephite, one of the three. You are one of the four. Now, Frank has met the other two Nephites before. And you know, it's funny, when I just read this book back in the 90s when I was just reading this book, I, I didn't really look too deeply into any of that stuff. The Nephite, basically. Just thought it was something that Alred had created, you know, something, some mystical being that came out of his imagination. And turns out, no, that's not the case. Of course, I looked this up when the first Nephite appeared because, you know, I was going to talk about it on a podcast. So I wanted to make sure I had all my ducks in a row because I'm not a smart man. And I like to have the information in front of me. Now, unfortunately, what happens is because I don't like to research too much, I don't always get all of the information in front of me. But I did look this up, and it turns out that this is something that comes out of the the Mormon faith. Alred, as I said, is a Mormon. And I do have to say here that as I was researching what a Nephite is, I'm still not quite sure. It's some kind of possibly mystical beings that are descendant of people that came over to the new Americas a long, long time ago. And I don't know, I did, it didn't make a lot of sense to me. Um, but the more I read into it, the more I would find articles in various Mormon m- papers, magazines, websites, and whatnot that were talking about Mike Allred and how he is, injecting a lot of his Mormon philosophies or or whatnot, his beliefs into this book, and that the character of Frank Einstein is like a, uh, you know, a Mormon superhero and and all this junk. And while that may be true, I, I don't know. I mean, yeah, Allred's a Mormon. I don't know much about the Mormon faith. I talked about that last week. I've never really felt like doing a lot of research. Uh, simply because A, I don't like to do research and B, myself, I'm not really a religious guy. I'm a big fan of stories that deal with people who try to do the right thing. And that's kind of the the message that I get out of these madman stories is is, is that uh, Frank always tries to do the right thing. He doesn't always succeed. He has done horrible things in his past and he's trying to uh, at times make up for that. But In general, he's a very good-hearted person who wants to help people. And he just happens to uh, be the reanimated corpse of a dead man, which apparently, again, from what I've read, ties into a lot of the Mormon faith, I guess. I don't know. I didn't, again, didn't do a lot of research, just read a couple things. Uh, But the point I'm trying to make here is that this book does not come off as like Alred trying to indoctrinate people. Into the Mormon faith, this is not uh, a propaganda book that is trying to recruit people or anything like that. This is, you know, I I don't know. I feel like that has to be said because I know folks get a little suspicious when it comes to someone who is a person of faith who believes in a certain religion and is creating a work of literature in which... They put in a lot of their beliefs. And, you know, I'm one of those people. I get, I get kind of mistrustful with that kind of stuff because I'm not a religious person. I, I, I believe in certain things. I'm not going to get into all that here. Uh, but I'm not, I'm not a big, I'm not a big fan of the practice of religion. And I'm not a big fan of anyone trying to pull me into something that I I don't necessarily believe in. I don't do that to other folks. I'm not out there trying to convince people not to go to church. So I would appreciate it if people don't try to uh, convince me to go to church, right? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you, which, you know, frankly, I think is a a Christian thing. I, I don't know. I don't know a lot about that stuff, but I felt like I should have to point that out, I guess, because once I started Kind of a deeper dive into you know just starting out as is as a as what the frick is a Nephite and what does that have to do with Madman in this book and you know I learned that uh, over time as Allred was creating this book that Frank ultimately became Mike Allred you know he was using Frank to get a little get a lot of stuff out of his head worked through some things and uh, when you are creating something, when you're writing something, a lot of times, most of the characters for, for some folks, I'm, I'm one of them, they put themselves or certain aspects of themselves into various characters. And so it, it makes sense that there would be a lot of Mormon dogma, I guess, in this book. But had I not gone out and just looked up what the flip a Nephite was, I honestly never would have known. I knew that Allred was a Mormon. Again, I'm not. I don't. I want to. I feel like I'm almost saying that, like, condemn that man. How dare he? And that's that's not what I'm doing here. That's not what I'm saying. I don't know what I'm saying. I'm just. I guess. I'm like I said. I'm just trying to say that uh, this is not. If you've heard of the Madman comic and you've not read it because you've heard that Mike Allred is a Mormon and that there's a lot of Mormon dogma uh, in the book, and so you're not going to read it because you don't want to read a book where. Uh, some quote-unquote religious fanatic tries to convert you to their crazy ways, that's that's not, I don't get that at all out of this book. Of course, I haven't finished it yet, so I guess we'll see, right? Anyway, the scene here where he is having this dream, it's it's just two panels where he meets the, the, the Nephite, the one of three. He's already met the other two. And again, this guy looks like Clint Eastwood. And of the two panels, the first panel, all we see of him is his boot. And so in the second panel, he's telling Frank, trust your dreams. Well, actually, he tells him first, I will be seeing you soon. And then says, trust your dreams. They will tell you all you need to know. Your purpose will be revealed soon enough. In the meantime, concentrate on the present. And Frank's reply is like in birthday present or like now present. and. Clint's response to him is just, pull your head out, son, which I found quite funny. But that's when Frank wakes up and he's laying amongst the rocks. Again, he's still very tiny. He has survived the crash and the cave in, and he's kind of chalking it up to the fact that he's really small. Maybe there's something about the fact that he's really teeny tiny, uh, the size of a, a toothbrush. And uh well at one point he actually tries to radio in to uh Dr. Flem by using the 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 CB communicator from the Moto Router car and I'll be honest with you folks I don't know if I'm saying that correctly I can't remember if it's called a Moto Router car or not uh, all I can think of when I say that is Roto Router which I think is a carpet shampooing company but he he tries to use this CB communicator and if you've seen a CB Mike, I guess you'd call it from like the Smokey and the Bandit movies. He's about as tall as one of those. So yeah, he's not very big and it's, he, he can't seem to get the, the CB to work. It's busted. He comes across the, in, in the wreckage, the puke monster. Terrence was his name. I don't remember. He was a regular guy who was attacked by aliens and they set him afire, And something about that, Changed his DNA and his skin into a uh, human vomit, which is pretty gross. But he the 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 puke monster is still in the jar. He's about as small as Frank is now. And the thing actually says to him, Help me. And Frank doesn't. He leaves him there. He, you know, I'm sure he's gonna come back for him, or at least that's his plan. But he needs to get back to. Dr. Flam and he needs to get back to Joe and he needs to get himself big again. And of course, he doesn't want to just let the puke monster go because he's afraid that the puke monster will kill him, will try to absorb him like he did with all the doctors and whatnot in the hospital back in the the previous issue because it was hungry. And because of that, Frank is very well justified by not letting the puke monster out. And he sees a, a drainage pipe. That is emptying out into the 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 tunnel where the, the collapse has happened and he decides to uh go into the pipe and see where that takes him. Once within the pipe, he eventually, as he travels on, comes to basically pitch black darkness. He can barely even see the hands in front of his face. Finally he comes to some light and it's a uh like a, a drain grate above him, and there is a rope hanging from it, which appears to be probably somebody's hair. And he climbs up out of the drainage grate thing. And it's it's a floor drain in a bathroom. And in his narration, which I say it every time, these are journal entries from the journaling that he does. He says, I found myself in what looked to be some kind of public restroom. Maybe it was my size, but the familiar stink actually seemed to have a weight to it. And then he writes, "Black." Somebody has put some graffiti on the wall of the bathroom stall that says Robert Rodriguez is the cat's meow. Robert Rodriguez is the, the director, most uh, currently notable for the Boba Fett TV show on Disney Plus. But Frank is making his way across the bathroom floor when he sees a spider, which is basically a, a giant monster to him. It chases him. Across the bathroom floor, it is about to get him when a foot from a normal-sized human being, but for Frank is a freaking giant, steps on the spider just as the spider's about to get him, and the, 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 the disturbance of the air pressure that happens with the foot coming down on the spider blows Frank into the air and into a a fan that is sitting on a counter in the bathroom. He doesn't get chopped up or anything. It just He just kind of flies over to the fan, which blows him away. And he, at one point, says, I'm a leaf in a tornado. And he reaches out to grab a hold of anything to stop himself from falling. And it appears to be some kind of uh, spikes sticking out of a wall. But no, it's stubble from the giant person or the normal sized person that is in the bathroom with Frank. And they don't notice Frank, but what Frank quickly realizes is that the stubble that he's hanging off of is sticking out of a pimple. And this man person, giant thing squeezes it. And Frank is ejected off of this person's face with the, uh, puss that comes out of this pimple. I got to say puke monster in the previous issue and now getting bathed in pimple pus. I don't know what's wrong with Mr. Allred, but that's pretty gross. He is shot into the wall by this pus, and he is actually shot into the mirror because this, the creep is who this turns out to be, is uh, looking into the mirror as he is popping his pimple and I don't know I don't know the story behind the creep. I'll let me just tangent a minute when it comes to this character. We have seen him I believe at least twice in this book so far. He has been kind of a background character who literally just in one scene or the other whenever he's made a, an appearance, he's just somebody walking by in the background, you know, part of the scenery. And somebody that Again, he looks kind of zombieish. He's very gaunt and skeletal. He doesn't have a nose. His his the skin on his face is just freaking pulled back and tight so that his cheekbones stick out and his eyes are deeply inset into his face. And he's got really creepy fingernails. And but the few times that we've seen him in this book just walking around amongst the other citizens in Snap City. Nobody seems to pay him any mind. So I, I don't know if he ever shows up again in this book or if he was literally just created for this to to ultimately end up in this issue to torment Frank while Frank is a, a, a tiny little person. But the pus from this guy's pimple <laughs> shoots Frank into the mirror and he is stuck to the mirror because of the pus. And... He His narration is saying, look deep into the darkest recesses of your mind and list the most horrible situations you can imagine. This one almost ranks in my top 10. He's able to pull himself out of the pus, and he falls from the mirror, lands on top of the faucet, bounces, and is about to fall from the faucet. He kind of catches himself clinging to the side of it, like the side of a cliff, but he slips and he falls into the sink. And he's about to go down the drain, but somebody's hair is in the sink, and he's able to grab the hair and keep himself from falling into the sink. But then Creep suddenly starts saying, wash your hands, wash your hands. Always remember to wash your hands, especially when you sneezes, so you don't get no diseases. Squeaky clean, squeaky clean. And he turns the faucet on, which, of course, is not something Frank wants while he's hanging from a hair in the drain of the sink. The creep doesn't seem to notice Frank yet at this point. But when the water comes out of the faucet and hits the bottom of the sink where Frank is, it actually, because Frank is so small, it hits him and launches him up out of the sink. Just like if you, you know, a high pressure faucet, you turn it on and the water hits the bottom of the sink, drops are going to ricochet off out of the sink, right? Happens. And that's what happened to Frank basically. He's with one of the, with some of these drops of water. But as he's laying there on the floor with, you know, this water, his his body suddenly grows just a little bit. He starts to tingle and he grows just a little bit and he realizes that really what's he, what he needs at this point is a good bath. He needs a good hose down. He needs to be hosed down and and uh he thinks that once that happens, he will get all of the chemicals off of him and he will grow back to normal size well he looks around for wherever he can dunk himself into some water when the door creaks open and the little robot that we saw on the cover comes walking into the room now these robots let me see if it tells me how big this robot is on the the website here of this actual toy no it doesn't seem to want to tell us that. But there, I I would guess, based on how big this robot is compared to the creep who picks it up at one point, this robot's probably about a foot and a half to two feet tall. And Frank barely comes up to its knees. Well, this robot is... uh, The moment this robot is introduced to this book quickly becomes one of my favorite characters. And... Again, I don't know if this robot shows up in other issues. I don't know if we get to see him a lot moving forward, but he the the door creaks open, this robot kind of walks in and he goes, "Hey, yo, Frank, is you in here? Hey fella, is yous Frank?" He's talking to the creep. "I'm looking for Frank Einstein." And as this robot is talking and the 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 accent that Alred gives him makes me think of Ben Grimm, the thing. And once that kind of hit my brain from that moment forward, basically this robot who's, who has a name, I don't remember what it is. We haven't got to that point in the, in the issue yet, but the moment the robot starts talking and the moment I associate that with Ben Grimm, that's the, that's, that's what I think of when I think of this robot now that, that Ben Grimm, the thing, his, personality, his spirit, his soul was placed inside this tiny robot. Well, the creep sees the robot because the robot's talking to him. He says, is you Frank? I'm looking for Frank Einstein. And the creep leans down and the robot tells him that his sensors are telling him that Frank Einstein's DNA is somewhere in, quote, this sewer of a toilet. Is you him or what? And Frank who again doesn't even come up to the robot's knees is is yelling. I'm Frank. I'm over here. But the creep picks up the robot, finding it funny and realizing a, a talking toy robot. He says, "You got to be worth something." And the robot says to him, "Hey, you're no Frank Einstein. I know Frank Einstein's DNA, and you're no Frank Einstein. Put me down. Da- put me down right now, you big lug. I'm warning you." And then electricity shoots out of the robot shocking of course the creep who drops the robot onto the floor frank runs up to the robot says "Uh, that was wicked pal what's the skinny on you anyway and that's when the creep notices frank little tiny frank down there and says a little man you did this didn't you and tries to step on frank tries to stomp him like he did the spider earlier and that's when the robot's chest Thing uh, the the front of his chest opens up and a little dart flies out and hits the creep in the leg and knocks him unconscious. And this is also where we learn the robot's name. That'll learn him. Don't ever mess with the mighty Myron. I'll kick your ass. So Frank asks, "Is he dead?" And Myron tells him, "Nah, I just put his lights out. I can't give no one the big whack." Unless I gets to say so. So we learn that Myron was sent by Dr. Flem to come find Frank. And he tells this story about being back in Buzztown. If you remember from a number of issues back, Dr. Flem's helping hands, these little globe spherical robots with arms and, and hands that he built to help him with his experiments, had built a robot named Astro Man and took a brain scan that they had digitally of Frank and put it inside Astro Man, making Astro Man uh, basically a robot version of Frank, even though he doesn't look like Frank. And then we learned that they built a couple other robots and then these robots built robots and those robots built robots. And suddenly they had just a crap ton of robots of all different sizes and colors and 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 shapes down there in the lab. And they they ran away at one point because they all freaked out when the humans showed up. And well, Myron tells this, Myron's one of these robots basically, but he tells the story of other robots. He calls them a, a swarm of renegade bots. They come into the lab through the rocket car tunnels and they start, as he says, knocking heads. They knock out Mott the Hubel they kidnap Joe and Dr. Flem and Gale and Bonnie and they shoot other robots they're destroying some of the other robots they shoot a larger robot version of Myron who Myron says is his mother and you see a, a, there's a double page spread where this is happening and they're 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 carrying off Gale and Joe and these robots look very similar to the ones that we saw in the two issues with big guy the 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 robots that came to kidnap professor boyford and we also see amongst these robots is a an rca well it says rca visitor but it's like a it's an old tv set with robot legs and robot arms and claw like hands pincer hands and and on the screen is factor max this robot that we met back there during the, the big guy adventure who we don't really know anything about at this point, but he's yelling out, where is the one called Frank Einstein? Tell me where he is or I'll destroy everything. I have no desire to destroy, but I will if I must. And then we, and then one of the robots in this double page spread is blowing up Myron's mother and Myron's yelling out, mother. And Dr. Flem is hiding behind some equipment and he sees Myron and grabs him up and he tinkers with him a moment so that he can detect Frank's DNA. And he hands him over to Marie, which is one of the, the helping hands robots and sends him off down the tunnel to go look for Frank because Frank's the only one that can help them at this point. Marie is shot and destroyed as they are escaping down the tunnel, but Myron is able to, to get out. So with that story finished, we're now outside of the bathroom. It's actually a a bathroom at a filling station or a service station or a gas station, whatever neck of the woods you're in, whatever they call them. And Frank climbs up onto Myron, sitting on his head. And Myron heads off to the nearest rocket car tunnels, which what I was calling the Moto router car tunnels. So yeah, I guess I was getting that wrong. Rocket car tunnels. He says the quickest way to get there is to cut through the boonies, which is uh, a park or just some area of wilderness out there. And there's a moment where we get a line from Pulp Fiction. So Mike Allred's obviously a fan of Pulp Fiction because as they're trudging along through the through the the high grass and the woods, Frank is asking Myron, "Are we there yet? How much further?" And Myron says. Yonder, so keep your shorts on. But then he stops. And Frank's like, well, what'd you stop for? And he goes, shut up, something's coming. And Myron is whispering at this point. But Frank, who is, I guess, angry at this point, you know, who can blame him? He just wants to get back to find out what happened to Joe. You know, he's 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 fought a puke monster. He got shrunken down to uh, smaller than an action figure. He got popped with a zit. And he was almost stepped on by a a giant person and then he learns that Joe may be dead or at least in trouble and he's not interested in stopping he wants to get there so he kind of cracks back at Myron don't tell me to shut up pal I may be small but that doesn't keep me from loosening a few screws get me and then this is when we get our Pulp Fiction line Myron whispers to him if I'm curt with you it's because time is a factor I think fast I talk fast and I need you to act fast if you want to get out of this. So pretty please, with sugar on it, shut up and sit down. So Frank, who's saying deja vu, that sounds familiar somehow. But while I have already in my mind basically associated Myron with the thing, I, I, I almost feel like what Allred is saying here by using that line from Pulp Fiction, it's not just simply Allred Inserting a line from maybe one of his favorite movies, I think it's his way of telling us that this voice that Myron is using, the voice that we should be hearing, is Harvey Keitel's voice because that line is Mister Wolf, the character that Harvey Keitel plays in Pulp Fiction. So it's not long before we see what Myron had sensed. I guess his his robotic senses, his sensors, had picked up on something coming. And it's a black fur-covered creature with big yellow eyes. And the issue description referred to this creature as the the yellow-eyed creature from under the stairs. And, you know, I just literally, just within the last week, sat down over like a a 72-hour period and read through the entire first volume of the, the Madman library editions. We're talking um, 16 issues, I believe, of Madman. The the first three-issue series that was just called Madman, the second three-issue series that was called Madman Adventures, and then the next 10 issues of Madman Comics from Dark Horse. And I don't remember if this creature showed up at all before this point. But Frank's not too worried about it because he can see a storm drain ahead of them. And he knows that just within that storm drain is the, the you know, that's the, where they need to go to get to the rocket car tunnels. And he wants to get a closer look. He tells Myron that he's he's tiny. The thing's not going to see him. And Myron reminds him, yeah, but you kind of stink. So it's going to smell you. And sure enough, it does and goes straight for Frank, who dives into the storm drain and the thing reaches in for him, pulls the, the grate off of the storm drain and reaches down there and grabs Frank. All the while, Frank is like, Strange, I don't sense any hostility from you toward toward the, he's saying toward the creature. Maybe we can make like friends. The thing reaches into the storm drain and pulls him out. And Myron comes running up. That doesn't back off or taste dirt, Yeti. And he fires one of his darts at the creature. But Frank is, is calling out, It's okay, Myron. I don't think it's hostile. Myron says, It don't matter. We gots to get going. And he fires the dart at the creature and it just kind of knocks it aside and runs off with Frank. And Frank's yelling back at Myron, really, Myron, don't sweat it. Something feels right. But Myron is responsible for Frank. He has this task that was programmed into him. He was to find Frank and bring him back. So he goes chasing after this creature. Well, the creature takes Frank and climbs up the side of a mountain. And at the top, drops him off and runs away and Frank turns around and there is the third Nephite that he saw in his dream. Frank quickly between panels tells him that well what happened to him, why he's so small and is telling him that he thinks that if he can just wash it all off he'll go back to normal size and then starts asking the third Nephite why they all think he's important. Who are the who are the three of them, the three Nephites we've now met? And they have, as Frank says, you led me to believe I've got some special destiny, but you always leave me with unanswered questions. And this, the third Nephite tells him, it's always best to keep things simple, don't you think? Why confuse you with something now that will be abundantly clear later? You'll find that when taking the proper steps, you get to the top a lot faster. And then he carries them over to a well, sticks them in the bucket, drops the bucket down in the well. That's when Myron shows up and tells the Nephite to, to put his hands up. I don't know what your game is, stranger. What are you? Why can't I register your DNA? But the Nephite was helping Frank this entire time because then he pulls the bucket back up and Frank is riding the bucket, but he is now normal size. And Frank tells Myron that they everything's okay now. They can go to Buzztown. And he tells the Nephite, I guess this was some screwy introduction. You're not going to tell me anything else, are you? And the guy says, the time is the time when it's the time, and when it's time, the four horsemen will ride. Good luck, kid. And Frank and uh, Myron head off. Myron, however, feels uh, that there's something spooky about that guy. Frank has to agree and says that uh, I can't shake the feeling that my whole life is some cosmic summer rerun, like I've never gotten off the island, where my five-year mission will never end. But then he says, even so, it all feels so right. So they get down into the, the rocket car tunnels. They make their way back to Dr. Flem's lab. When they get there, the place is a shambles. It's a wreck. Screens are broken. There are pieces of robots lying on the floor. Frank sees Mechanical Man and Mr. Robot, who, we, who, who we've met in a previous issue, and, but they're all smashed up. And he's asking Myron, what did these robots look like? Why would they want me? And Myron tells him that, I I told you they're flying robots, and then says, oh, I forgot to tell you, I heard him call the head robot Factor Max. And Frank recognizes the name, of course, but he still doesn't understand what that has to do with him. Uh, In the meantime, he goes around the lab and he collects a bunch of weapons. He's got a rifle, a baseball bat, and four pistols in holsters strapped around his body. And he tells Myron, you sure you can sniff him out, Myron? Because no offense, I'm going to waste some robots. And Myron tells him that there's no offense taken. I'm with you all the way, pal. They off my mutter. When you wants to play, you gots to pay. And then he tells Frank that he's already locked onto their signal and then yells out, behind you, watch it. And a, a little chamber thing opens up and inside is Astro Man, who... When last we saw Astro Man he had been blasted apart by the dude on the wee isles that the the demon that Mr Monstat had been working for the the demon had sent this this well he was a terrorist Mick Mick or Mickey who thought the demon was god and he thought he was trying to atone for his sins because he had placed a bomb inside of a building and found out just before it exploded, that the building was actually an, an orphanage, but not just an orphanage. It was an orphanage for blind children. And so that's that's not something he wanted to do. And so he wanted to atone for his sins. That's when the demon came along. The guy thought the demon was God. And the demon told him that if he wants to make up for his sins, he had to go kill Frank. But he kills Astro Man instead, who has put Frank's costume on, knowing that the guy would think that he killed Frank and that uh, Astro Man, being a robot, would be able to be brought back to life. And sure enough, here he is. Phlegm had recovered Astro Man's head from the scene and had taken him back to the lab and and still had that brain scan from Frank. And so we get Astro Man right at the very end. That's how it ends. The, the, the chamber door opens. There's a lot of purple smoke. Astro Man is standing there. Frank says, Astro Man? And we get next, runaway renegade robots or Factor Max Rising. So yeah, another freaking great issue and another new character that I have just immediately fallen in love with, which is Myron. We got near the near the beginning, I think by issue two or three of the first series, we get introduced to Joe, fall in love with her. We get introduced to Mott in the. Uh, First couple issues of the Dark Horse run that we're into right now, Madman Comics, and I fall in love with him. And now Myron. And I I hope, I really do hope we see more of Myron. Having finished volume one here of the Madman Library edition, all that means at this point is that I've read the next issue, issue number 10. I haven't gone any further than that, but I was kind of peeking through the second volume and we are quickly coming upon issues that I have not read. But here's the thing. Let me just kind of lay out the schedule for you for the next few weeks, because if you're reading these through the, the library editions like I am, some of the stuff in there is, is a little bit out of order. And I don't mean the the actual issues of the Madman books, but in volume two we're not only going to be getting more from Madman comics. And in fact, I think we get the rest of the Dark Horse run in volume two, but we also get some of the, I guess, crossover books that Madman had done during this time. There was a, a he, he crossed over with Nexus in a, a Nexus book called Nexus Meets Madman Number One. Uh, he crossed over with Superman, three issues called the Superman Madman Hullabaloo. And he crossed over with a character named The Jam. Now, along with this, and and, and honestly, I can't remember if where all this falls into place because I also have Volume 3. And I know that in Volume 3, we also get the seven issues of Red Rocket 7, which technically is not a Madman book. But I'm going to go ahead and include them here as part of this Madman read-through that I'm going to do. Only because they are included in the, the Madman library. And the same with The Atomics. Eventually, we're going to come to a series called The Atomics that is set in the Madman universe. I will be reading those and talking about those as well. Um, And actually, there are three issues of a superhero book. It's like the first superhero book Mike Allred did. And I believe he worked on it with his brother. And it's called They or Them. I I honestly don't remember. I didn't read those. That's the last three issues that is in Volume 1. And I do eventually want to read those and we will eventually talk about them. Because again, if I'm going to read and talk about Red Rocket 7 and the Atomics simply because they're they're in the, the collection, then I should read and talk about those. But let me just kind of fill you in on the schedule at this point, because as I said, I am going to do a number of Madman issues in a row before I kind of take a break from Madman and then move on to G.I. Joe or ElfQuest or Conan or something like that, but we just did Madman issue number nine, Madman Comics issue number nine. Last week, of course, we did issue eight. So, next week, we will do part 16, which is Madman Comics issue number 10. That will come out on February 1st. And then after that, we'll do Madman part 17, and we'll look at Nexus meets Madman issue number one. It was just a one-issue, one-shot special. And- Like I said, that issue as it's presented in the library editions is not placed in order of publication, but I'm going to read them and talk about them in the order that they were published. So after Madman Comics number 10, instead of going on to issue 11, we're going to read Nexus Meets Madman number one, because that issue came out in May of 96, Uh, issue 10 came out in February. February of 96. And then issue 11 came out in October of 96. So we'll have next week, part 16, Madman Comics, issue number 10. And I think I said February 1st, but actually, we're going to, that'll come out on February 7th. Part 17 will be Nexus Me- meets Madman. That'll come out on February 14th. And then part 18 will be Madman Comics, issue number 11. And that'll come out on February 21st. And then the next three weeks, February 28th, March 7th, and March 14th, we're going to look at the three issues of the Superman, Madman, Hullabaloo, where Madman teams up with Superman, and that's all written and drawn by Allred. And then at that point, we're going to take a break because following that, as far as order of publication, is the seven-issue Red Rocket miniseries. And so I want to take a break, and then when we come back to Madman, we'll, we'll start with Red Rocket 7. All right, sound good? But yeah, um, this is an issue that I did read when, uh, going back to issue number nine. This is an issue I read back when it was coming out, when it, when it hit the shelves back in October of 95. And the only thing that really stuck out to me as far as the one thing that I could remember the most reading it the first time was Myron. I obviously had fallen in love with that character all the way back then and still love him today. And even though I did read issue number 10, just within the last couple of days, I don't remember how much Myron is in issue number 10. And following issue number 10, I know that I have issues 11 and 12, 13, 14, and 15. Because I think issues 12, 13, 14, and 15 are a a four issue story arc dealing with Professor Boyford. And as I was kind of, skimming through the next couple of volumes. I was looking at, at the covers and I recognized those going up to issue. Matter of fact, I recognize the covers for the rest of the, the Dark Horse series, which goes to issue number 20. But I don't know that I've actually read them, which is kind of insane because if I recognize the covers, I feel like I own the issues. So why didn't I read them? Maybe I don't own the issues. Maybe I've just seen them online and at one point was trying to hunt them down. But I don't remember anything about them. I just know that there's a the 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 four issue Professor Boyford story coming up and I think there's something called the G Men from Hell that deal with uh Mike Mattress and his partner that uh Joe that Joe works for. But I again I don't remember really what those issues are about, but I feel like I own them. So maybe I have read them. It's just I don't remember anything about them. And and as I start reading them again, maybe uh, you know, some, some memories will bloom in Mahid. But once again, back to issue number nine, really quite enjoyed this. I enjoyed, uh, the, the challenges that Frank had to overcome as a tiny little action figure sized person. I think that whole sequence in the bathroom was done very well. It it really, you really kind of felt what it was like to be a, a, a little tiny action figure sized person. I think, Already did a really good job with perspective and, and whatnot. He didn't just draw it from the point of view of someone who is normal size. It was all drawn for a lot of it from Frank's point of view. So, for example, when he's hanging off of the creep's facial stubble, you don't really realize what that is at first. It does look like possibly broken rebar coming out of, granted, a flesh-colored wall, but you don't immediately, your mind doesn't immediately go to, oh, that's stubble. Because each piece, each, each bit of hair would, would have been like the size of, of rebar, if not a bit thicker compared to, compared to Frank. And the part with the, uh, the yellow-eyed creature from beneath the stairs, that just has me, I really honestly don't think we've encountered this creature before, but I find it interesting when, when Alred kind of brings... Elements like that into these stories because I don't know if this is something that the, you know, the yellow-eyed creature from beneath the stairs, which is again what the description of the issue calls it. I don't know if we're going to see that thing again. I don't know if it's a if it's a bigger part or has a bigger part to play. I don't know if it's just something that just its sole purpose in this book was to snatch up Frank and take him up to uh the Clint Eastwood Nephite guy. I, I don't know, but I I just find that kind of stuff really interesting and I'm looking forward to seeing much, 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 much more of it. But uh, you can look forward to more Mad Men episodes all throughout February and through the first half of March, beginning, well, actually that began last week, but continuing next week with issue number 10, which is called Runaway Renegade Robots. So until then, folks... My name is Steven, and I'm just another fanboy. Be nice to each other. The Just Another Fanboy podcast is a Stephen or Else production. Questions and comments can be directed to justanotherfanboy at gmail.com. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram by searching for at Stephen or Else, and then come join in on all the fun at the Just Another Fanboy message boards at forum.justanotherfanboy.com. You can support the show for as little as a dollar a month over at the Patreon by going to patreon.com slash Stephen Orr. And in return, I am going to do my very... Best to get you and your fellow patrons episodes just like this one before anybody else. I also encourage you to rate the show wherever available and share this episode with a friend. All links will be in the show notes. Bye bye, Daddy. Bye bye, Daddy. Good job. <laughs> Uh-oh. All right, <clears throat> here we go. It's minuscule. It's mired in minutia. It's a microcosm of madcap malignity. Malignity? Better look that up. Malignity, I said it right. right. Let's try that again, then. <clears throat>